0: So, um, this is week six of our Parenthood Summer Seminar, Um, so we're we're about halfway uh, into it. I think, I hope that it's been beneficial to you. I know that I've already um, written down a lot of things I need to think about more and work on better. Um, Before we get started, uh, let's just kind of open with a word of prayer. Lord God, we're grateful for your word, and we thank you for um, how you teach us we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to um, many of us um, to be parents and to to raise children up um, in the nurture and admonition of you. And I pray that that we will um, learn better, that we'll seek to follow you more in the way that we parent, that we can can train them and point them to you and to your glory. And may they honor you and bless others um, in all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so to kind of review where we have been, um, last week we talked about communication. um, And communication primarily in like how we discipline. So um, the basis for that is that we are living souls, we're made in God's image, and our children are too. And so uh, we can't just like snap and magically make them conform and become, you know, little rule followers. Um, That didn't happen for us, that doesn't happen for any human being. Uh, So in order for us to help them grow in discipline and learn, uh, we want to relate to them in a meaningful way and communicate the truth of God to them. Um, And so last week, Todd talked about several things. One of them was how. How do we communicate? Um, We can't just limit ourselves to, like, giving rules, correcting bad behavior, and punishing bad behavior. the Bible gives us a lot of different ways that we can communicate with our kids. Um, The ones that he talked about last week were encouragement, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, and prayer. So all of those are different means that God has given us to communicate with our kids rather than just be the um, the strict disciplinarian, jailer, police officer, judge kind of warden uh, setup. And so... We need to take advantage of all those ways. Otherwise, we're really just limiting our ability to actually communicate truth to our kids. Another piece of that, when and where do we communicate? Well, all the time, wherever we need to and can, basically. Um, Based on Deuteronomy 6... These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All the time, everywhere, whenever you can, we're communicating God's truth to our kids. And then what do we communicate? Most fundamentally, the scripture. I mean, we want to communicate the truth of God's word to our kids. Because God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, right? Psalm 119. Um, God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. So we know that God's word is what we need to be teaching them. But that doesn't mean that we just quote the Bible at them all the time, right? That's a good way to teach them that the Bible is just a tool that can be used to either cut people down or, you know, yell at them in a different language. It doesn't work. We are constantly... We want to be constantly communicating God's truth, the truths of God's word, and like applying that to situations in life. So that's what we mean by teaching God's word. How does this scripture that I'm saying to you now actually connect to this moment? And then before that, before we talked about communication, we've been talking about kind of as a whole and kind of what the heart, I think, of this seminar really is, is getting at the heart and that uh, if all we're focused on is correcting behavior, we're missing the root of that. Um, so the aim of our communication is to train and instruct at the level of the heart attitude and not just demand outward conformity. Does that make sense? The scripture teaches us in Proverbs 4.23 that the heart is the control center of life. It says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So we don't just want our kids to like, act like Christians. We want their heart to overflow with Christian behavior. Oh, but there's a problem, right? We can't actually change their hearts. That is a work that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. And so we instruct them, we entreat them, we show them, and we pray and wait for the moving of the Holy Spirit to actually transform a heart. And that brings us to what we're talking about this morning, because while we wait for the heart to change, while we're praying that their heart will change, our kids are busy behaving, right? They're busy doing stuff, and we have to deal with that behavior, even if the heart attitude is a work in progress. And so at some level, there are times where we have to say, okay, we're going to do the right thing and wait for the heart attitude to catch up to that. And we have to guide and direct and discipline on that. So that's why the title of this this morning is Obedience 101. What do you do when you can't get to the heart? All right, well, if you look on your outline, there where it says intro, the pursuit of our children's hearts, that's the primary focus of our parenting. We still have to deal with behavior. And so we can't just, like, ignore their bad behavior because we know it's springing from a bad heart, right? It's the same way that, like, a doctor wouldn't ignore your symptoms just because they know it has an underlying cause. Like, yes, we want to get to the underlying cause, but the symptoms are still there, so we still need to treat them. Uh, Children have to be reminded of the requirements of God's law. This is what God says. And part of that means they need to also just know how to live in the world, And living in the world means that you have to follow rules. There are laws. There are things that you have to do. You have authorities that you need to submit to. And so we have to teach and train them how to do that, uh, even if the heart isn't changed. But in life, we recognize there are plenty of situations where whatever happens, circumstances, a kid's just being a kid, a sinful kid, uh, and you have to temporarily set aside this whole idea of addressing the heart and just focus on the behavior. Maybe it's due to a particular, like, urgent situation. The classic example, the kid standing in the middle of the road, right? You don't say to your three-year-old, my son, walk in wisdom. Why would you make such a terrible decision to stand in the middle of the road when the car is coming? Don't you see? No, you tell them, get out of the road now. Right? You, you demand and you expect immediate obedience to save their life. It's not a moment for the heart. That's not a, maybe you could talk about the heart issue maybe later, but at that moment, it's all about obey right now. So that's one thing is urgent situation. Another occasion might be um, based on developmental stages. Right, So just between a two-year-old and a three-year-old, um, based on behavioral studies and stuff like that, the average two-year-old, 24-month-old kid can say about 250 words. The average three-year-old, 36-month-old kid has about thousand words. Um, that's like a fourfold leap in ability to communicate. And so, from the age of two to the age of three, the ability to get at the heart is going to vastly improve, right? Because they can f- better express what they're feeling, you know, what's going on in their hearts than they could at two. And so we have to recognize that there's times in a kid's life where just calling them to obedience is, is all we can really do at that moment, and the heart talk can come later on. So, what is the biblical basis for obedience? This is number one. Uh, it's on, on the second page of your outline. Well, this morning we're going to use, we're going to look at Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And we could have looked at Colossians, but we already looked at Colossians uh, recently, so we're going to actually deal with Ephesians uh, instead this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, there you go. Who is Paul addressing? He's speaking directly to children. Those who are the offspring of a parent. Okay. Um, now, based on context, we would assume, and I think it's right to, that he's talking about kids who are living in the home under the discipline of, of their parents. Right? We're not talking about grown children who are moved out and have their own families. We're talking about kids who are still living under the rule of their, of their parents, um, based on the context. So that's who he's talking to, these kids. And what is he telling them to do? He's saying, children... Be obedient to your parents. That's the command he's giving. And then he has these two qualifying statements. The first one, he says, Obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? Okay, Paul is writing to believers. Okay, so we have to recognize he's not just saying this to anybody and everybody. He's writing to a group of believers. And so, when he says, Obey your parents in the Lord, we are... Assuming, we're recognizing that he's talking about um, not just obedience for obedience sake, but specifically obedience that is honoring to God. It's obedience that is um, consistent with our faith. That's a good way to say that. Uh, so that means, what that means is that the parental direction, like an order that I give as a parent, should reflect biblical Christian values. It shouldn't just be my own desire, it shouldn't just be me telling them to do what the world says is correct, but if they are obeying me in the Lord, my command should be of the Lord and then their obedience will also be of the Lord. Our commands should never come in conflict with the law of God. Second qualifying statement, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So how can Paul tell us what is right or wrong? Like, what's the basis for him deciding that? Well, you can, if you see, if you look down at the second verse of Ephesians chapter 6, honor your father and mother, it's the first commandment with a promise. He links this command of obey your parents. The way he knows that it's right is because it's based on the law of God. It's, it's based on the fifth commandment. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Our obedience is grounded. Our obedience and our kids' obedience is grounded in the law of God. It is right to obey God's law. Therefore, it is right to obey your parents because that's one of God's laws. All right, does that all make sense? And you also see, based on that, uh, the fifth commandment, there is a promise connected, right? It's the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise connected to honoring father and mother, a promise connected to obedience, and that is that you'll be blessed, that you'll live long in the land. And know it also, if you're looking at this passage in Ephesians, this is followed immediately by, the one in Colossians is too, followed immediately by a command to the Father not to exasperate the kids. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Any questions, comments about any of that? Feel good? All right. Part two, if you look on your handout, definition of obedience. So, now, obviously, we could all, if I said, like, hey, how would you define obedience? You could probably give me a definition. Anybody could tell me what they would say it is. You could look it up in a dictionary or whatever. But for our seminar, for what we're looking at today, this is how we are kind of defining obedience. And I, I think it's a good definition. Obedience is the willing submission of one person to the authority of another. Does that work? Obedience is the willing submission of one person to the authority of another. And that submission essentially happens in two different ways. One is that the kid tells them, them, the kid does what we tell them to do, right? So if I say, go take out the trash, go make your bed, go pick up those toys, they do what they're told. That's one type of obedience. The other piece of obedience is that they don't do what we tell them not to do. If I say, don't jump on the bed, don't touch the stove, don't go outside right now, and they don't do those things, they are obeying. Again, this is modeled on the law of God because we have commands that say, do this, and we have commands that say, thou shalt not do this, right? So that's two different types of obedience. Doing what you're told, not doing what you're not told. Not doing what you're told not to, (laughs) there you go, okay. And for a child, true obedience is more than just doing what he's told. From our biblical Christian worldview, true obedience is more than just doing what you're told. Okay, and this is where it gets really like this is the meat of this that's going to make all of us kind of our stomachs twist a little bit, and nobody will want to make eye contact with me, and that's okay, I'm with you, okay? True obedience means doing what they're told without challenge or excuse, without delay, and without grumbling or a bad attitude. I know, that's hard, right? You've probably heard, maybe you've heard somebody say it before. I know I have. Uh, obey all the way, right away, and with a respectful attitude, or with a happy heart, maybe. You've heard it different ways, and I've heard it different ways. But, um, yeah, that's what we're looking at. So we're going to look at each one of those pieces, without challenge or delay or grumbling or attitude, okay? First one, obedience without challenge or excuse. And just to preface this, Be clear. When we were doing the sign-up for these sessions, this was the only one that wasn't picked, and that's why I'm teaching it. Not because I am an expert or worthy to to communicate this material to you. As the Lord does in everything he does, typically, when you get to teach something, it's the thing that you need to know the most. So, anything where I say you need to Recognize that I'm saying, Ryan, you need to twice as much as I'm telling any of you because I know what I do better than I know what any of you do. So uh, don't feel like I'm preaching at you. I'm far from it. I'm entreating you to come along with me on this journey of trying to do this better. Okay, obedience without challenge or excuse. So when your command is met with um, comments about that's not fair or excuses, or explanations of why they couldn't possibly obey at that moment, or uh, let me tell you why this is a better idea, dad, or a tantrum, any of those things, ultimately, that kid is not obeying. They're not. You say, clean up toys, but the kid says, but daddy, I wanted to play, no. You say, it's time to go to bed, and they say, why do I always have to go to bed so early? No. No. Obedience should be, true obedience is, without challenge or excuse. Otherwise, they're not actually obeying you. And because they are not obeying, there should be a consequence for the failure to obey. Now, what consequence you choose, it's probably depending on what the situation is, what exactly that looks like. But they sh- it shouldn't just be like a, hey, don't argue with me. That that doesn't really teach that there's consequences for that not obeying behavior, right? They need to recognize that when they offer you a challenge or an excuse, they are not obeying in that moment and there should be a consequence immediately for that, not, that lack of obedience. I know all of like people are smiling like, oh yeah, this is a fun one. I'm sorry, okay. Now, okay, with that said, once you've established that, once you've got that down and say, okay, you obey without challenge or excuse right away, okay, then you can develop a process for appeal, right? So um, think of it like kind of like a safety valve. Um, if a kid knows they have permission to appeal to your order um, and they know that you will honestly, like, consider what they have to say, okay, um, you, you can do that. Once you've already established that, that this, this is how it works, that you do it without challenge or excuse immediately. So, for example, let's just say... Um, Normal, normal thing in my house would be that around 7.30, 7.45, we say, all right, get cleaning up, you know, go get ready for bed and all that kind of stuff because we aim for 8 o'clock to do our, like, family worship thing right before we go to bed, okay? I say, hey, y'all need to go uh, clean up get ready and everything. But their mom had just told them that they could play with this train track that they just built for, a, for another 15 minutes, right, for an extra little bit amount of time. I didn't know that, and so... One of my kids could say, but dad, mom has already told us that we could play with this for another 15 minutes. Okay, that's them recognizing their parents aren't perfect, we don't know everything, and so I was ignorant of what mom had already said. And so in that moment, they can appeal and say, can we just play, mom said we could play with this for another 15 minutes, is that okay? And unless I have a good reason why that doesn't work, okay, we can let that go. But that shouldn't be the general pattern, that shouldn't be every single time. The general pattern should be, Without excuse, without challenge, immediately do what you're told. Number two is obedience without delay. Obedience should be immediate. When a child does not respond at once, they're not actually obeying. Um, This is, you know, I'm sure all of you, if you have boys, you have probably had this moment. Hey, clean up your Legos, get them all cleaned up, all of them off the floor. Okay. After I finish building this, right? Yeah. No, not after you finish building it. I want you to do it right now. If I wanted you to do it after you're done building that, I would have told you to do it after you were done building that, right? Um, and again, that's another case of once you've de- once you've built that system of obey immediately. If they want to appeal, and they know that that's the system of how it's going to work, then then okay, they can offer the appeal. But you need to develop that that you know, almost overly strict pattern of do it right now without arguing complaining. And then we can talk once you're, you know, once we get a little older about, well, can I finish this first or can I do that first? Now, how immediate? That's the question, right? How immediate is immediate? Do I need to get out my stopwatch and be like, sorry, you had 10 seconds, you didn't do it. Uh, here's your consequence now. I, no, I think that you you recognize... What's going on, what's happening in, in their life in the moment, right? So the idea is, and I love how um, one of the guys that, that was working on this stuff, he says it this way, your child simply needs when you give a command to commence obeying your direction and stop pursuing their own will. So basically, they should stop doing what they want to do and do what you've told them to do. Why? Why? why are we like, why is this so important? This is all so strict and you're like, but everybody parents differently. This isn't our style. Okay, but our goal is to teach them to submit to authority. I mean, if you want your kid when they're in the workforce to be a bad employee, then sure, you can not teach them how to obey. If you want them, whenever they are older, to uh, become an anarchist and and lead a charge against the government, maybe you do want that, I don't know. But uh, if that's what you want, then okay, then you can teach them to not obey. But if you want them to be a helpful, like, courteous blessing to their community then teaching this type of obedience is key it it just is key and it's key because we need to teach them to submit to the authority of God if we don't teach them to do that to submit to God's authority they won't so that's why all right third thing obedience should be without grumbling or complaining This is kind of similar to the excuse piece, but not exactly. This is where we say obedience should be with a proper attitude. And this is why, if I were using that little phrase where it says, like, uh, obey all the way, right away, and with a, some people say, with a happy heart. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily happy heart. You don't have to be happy about it. I'm okay with you not being happy about obeying in the moment, but I think it should be respectful, right, a respectful attitude. So obey all the way, right away, with a respectful attitude. When your kid follows through with the command, and yet are complaining about it, whining about it, grumbling about it the entire time, they aren't actually obeying. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Again, as a parent, we are establishing a standard for what submission to authority looks like. We are asking for obedience without excuse, without delay, and without complaining because when you're in a workplace, when you're under authorities like governments and and other things like that, they expect that kind of obedience. We want to train them in that. And when they are living under the rule of, I don't know, elders in a church or uh, under the rule of God on high, (laughs) we want them to obey him without excuse, without delay, and without complaining about it. If we, or when we, accept other responses other than that, we're actually training our kids to not obey. And we're teaching them to have a disobedient heart, ultimately. And if what we're after is a heart, then we have to train the actions so that the heart has any clue. One practical tip, just in thinking about this, um, it might help to bring... The child to you physically before you issue a command Um, because shouting across the the house a lot of times you know it's difficult for them to hear they have a good excuse for why they didn't obey i didn't understand what you said um i didn't know that you said to do two things i just heard one whatever you can make eye contact with them you can get them right in front of you you can confirm that they understand the instruction here's what i'm telling you to do do you understand yes sir yes ma'am and then you know that they heard, they know that you know that they heard, and so they don't have an excuse, and and they can do the thing that you've told them to do. Now, for all of us, uh, for me, if you have older children and haven't already done these three, three things perfectly, which you haven't, none of us have done them perfectly, but if you failed bigger than you may have hoped, that's okay. That doesn't mean you can't still work on them. It may mean that you have to have some conversations, especially with an older kid who hasn't had this kind of structure previously, and say, "Here's what we're trying to do. We want to help you, you know, grow in these in these ways of, of respecting and understanding what authority looks like. And so we're going to be really being really hard and strict on on this kind of obedience. Um, as long as they understand what you're aiming for, then you've given them that that standard, and they can they can hopefully keep keep a hold up to it." better than if they didn't know what the standard was. You have to, though, um, really invest time in a dialogue and instruction to help them understand what you're trying to establish. Otherwise, they're not going to be on, your, on the same page as you. All right. Now, we've talked a little bit so far. We've talked mainly about obedience kind of from the child's perspective so it's like you need to obey right away all the way with a respectful attitude this is what you need to do now we're going to kind of flip it and say what's the responsibility for us as parents in in trying to train this kind of obedience what are we what are we hoping to help them how can we help them grow in that Remember Paul's command to children in Ephesians and in Colossians was followed by that command to fathers, which I would say is probably a command to all parents in some sense, to not discourage or provoke is kind of the word that's used, I think, in most translations, not to provoke their children. So we need to consider how can I best aid my children in growing in obedience and not hinder them or discourage or provoke them. And we're going to think about this in the form of of uh, of six callings, and you can see them there on number three on your outline. So we have these six callings uh, for how we teach obedience. First one is a call to consistency. Consistency is so vital, and this is one area that uh, I'm sure all of you have noticed in your own parenting life, like, oh, well, it seems like they're not doing as well with this or that, and it's probably because we haven't been very consistent in enforcing, right? Everybody's had that kind of experience. So we recognize that consistency is vital. Um, so clear direction, um, consistent reinforcement are essential for obedience to actually work well. Part of that is because it actually hurts a child if you give a command and don't follow through. Because they, what they're learning is, I don't have to take your command seriously. When you say something, you don't really mean it. Um... Your words are just empty threats that don't have consequences. And as long as you never follow through like, and you don't, then I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and you can yell at me and tell me to do other stuff and it doesn't really matter. Um, so they, we want to, them to see our commands uh, not as threats but as commands which have real consequences when they do not obey them. So that's a call to consistency. We need to, we need to keep the same standard all the time. That leads right into the next one, a call to the same standard. Um, And this is really more like within the family, you and your spouse should have the same expectations, the same standards for obedience. The rules of the house should be the rules of the house. Um, So if if you have a rule about, you know, don't touch dad's tools but mom lets them, then you know that doesn't work. Um, It needs to be on the same page. And that what that really means is that there needs to be communication between spouses. You need to talk about, okay, this is what we're you know our rules are. If I set up a new rule, I should tell Catherine immediately, like, hey, here's the, I, I made this rule with them today, I want to make sure that you know about it. If she does that while I'm gone at work or whatever, and I come, she should tell me, like, hey, we've made this new rule because this occasion came up and we realized we needed to do that. And that way, you're on the same page, you know what the rules are, and you can reinforce them together. Um, This also is helpful um, to keep kids from kind of like working parents against parents, right? Because if, uh, if they know that maybe I'm more lenient, then if mom, they know mom's going to give them a no, they may come and, and talk to me instead or try to work her against me to, to, oh, well, dad said I could do it. And then it's like, okay, well, there, there's, now there's a conflict between the parents and, and they're good to go. Um, so having the same standards helps with that too. And I would think that it's also helpful to have the generally same standard for all the children in the home. Now, of course, elements like age or gender will have a a role in kind of shaping some of that. I mean, obviously, a 16-year-old would have more freedoms than like a 5-year-old would. Um, But in general, I would say like a 6- and 8-year-old should be able to expect that the same standards will apply to both of them uh, in their home. And they should recognize that as they get older, whatever freedoms they're gaining are not necessarily that they're not... Still to follow the rules, it's that the rules have now um, included other behavior as well. Like you've expanded it some to deal with things that maybe weren't covered in the rule book for the seven-year-old. Right, driving isn't covered in the seven-year-old rule book. That makes sense. Should have the same standard. Third call is a call to training, um, and we talked a little bit about this last week with communication. We don't want to spend all of our time just correcting bad behavior. Um, We should be training them in the midst of that correction. Part of that means having an idea of how we want to see them grow in obedience, which means knowing the kid. Um, And so looking at it and saying, okay, this child has a problem with self-control. How can I help grow self-control in this child? Okay, I need you to sit still and just read a book for 30 minutes. Control yourself. Do this for just this amount of time. Right, that may be something you could do. Um, maybe they have a trouble with boundaries. And you could say, okay, I, you're going to need to stay within this room for the next however long. And don't touch anybody else. Don't mess with anybody else's stuff. Just, just stay, right? So you're kind of developing, helping train them in understanding boundaries. Or maybe they have bad manners. They're struggling with that. Uh, and you can... You can say, if you see me talking to an adult, wait, don't speak to me at all, right? You can train them before the occasion comes up, train them in the right behavior so that you don't have to correct the bad behavior. Or when you do correct it, you've got a standard to hold them to. You know, that I've trained you to do this this way. Now, none of that's like in the Bible directly. This is just a, an issue of wisdom, prudence, like thinking through what does this kid need? Um, What does my child, in this specific instance, need to help learn how to obey better? And that takes energy and time, of course. But we want our homes to not just be like a a showcase of our wonderful little family. We want it to be a place of training, a place of teaching, a place of growing, so that ultimately, like we've talked about, they're going out into the world um, as a blessing and it's God honoring blessings and not, not as a problem for some employer to deal with. Fourth call is a call to encouragement. We all need encouragement. And so it's like, of course, our children need to be encouraged. And so we should strive to intentionally praise them when they do something right. It's easy to focus on the, oh, you didn't do that, oh, you didn't do that. He, you know, here's the correction, here's the consequence but are we actively encouraging and praising when they do do the right thing? Look for those moments where they are doing the right thing so that you can praise them and encourage them. Um, Discipline restrains bad behavior, but encouragement reinforces good behavior, and so we don't want to spend all of our time just correcting. Um, I mean, a lot of behavioral scientists have talked about the power of positive reinforcement and that a, a positive reinforcement is generally more like encouraging and good behavior than a, a negative consequence would be. So uh, that doesn't mean we don't ever have negative consequences. It just means we should also be giving equal time to positive reinforcement where we can. Pay attention to when they are doing something right and let them know that you saw it. Fifth call is a call to discernment. And this one's like, well, of course, yeah. Use wisdom in your parenting. Like, think about it. As believers, we want to follow Scripture. We want to do what God's Word has told us to do. But we have to recognize that if we look at, like, the details of every family, we're all different. Every child is different. Every family is different. All the parents are different. The structure is different. The home life itself is different. Everything is different. And so taking the Bible and saying, all right, here's what your family should look like um, is kind of short-sighted because there's a lot that goes into that. And it's not that clear that this is exactly what your family should look like. There's a lot of guidance, a lot of direction, a lot of uh, helpful stuff in the Bible. Um, but if it were super, super clear, I think that more people would all look the exact same, and that we don't because our kids are different. Um, so we have to take those differences into account when we parent. And that requires getting to know each kid. What are their struggles? What are their strengths? What are the things that, that they're, they're more tempted by? Um, what are they, the things that they excel in? Um, by knowing those things, we know better how to train, how to discipline, how to direct and correct. And then the final call is a call to graciousness. And this is just think about, I mean, think about how God is with us, right? Full of compassion, tender-hearted. He does not chide forever, but his mercies are new every morning. Um, How tender is he? How how does he respond to our sin? Uh, How patient is he? Right? We should be gracious to our children. So when we ask them, or when we tell them, hey, obey, do this thing, we should be thoughtful about what we're actually asking them to do. For example, and this has happened to me more than once, they spent all afternoon building this Lego creation. It's not quite done yet. And I come in and say, all right, clean up all the Legos. And I've already used the Lego example. That's a big thing in my house, okay? Um, am I really being thought Now if I told them they should obey, but am I being thoughtful about the hours that they just poured into this thing that they're creating to come in and say, clean it up now and I don't care? Right? So I could say, okay, well, you can leave that out and you can leave out the key parts that you need to finish it and we can, you can finish it tomorrow we'll just clean up everything else. Or I could say, okay, you know, just finish it up and you can clean up when you're done we're not meaning to be mean to our kids. We're not intentionally. None of us wants to be mean to our children. We are sometimes. We don't mean to. Um, but in the middle of, like, busy days, you're rushed, you... We often ask them to obey without really thinking about what that means for them in that moment. We're, we're, we're thinking, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this, this thing of setting up my strict rules and not considering that they are people with hearts and feelings and emotions and there are times where we say, like, that doesn't really, you know, at this moment, your, your feelings, you need to work on controlling your feelings, uh, and, and you just need to obey. But there are other times where we say, okay, is this really uh, the best for my child at this moment, for me to, to hurt them in this way um, with what I'm telling them to do? So be, just be thoughtful, gracious, considerate of, of your children when you're asking them to obey. We should really we should pursue grace not only in our judgments but also in our attitude with them. Especially when they disobey, we can show a concern or or a sadness over sin without being disgusted or um, you know riotously angry. It is possible to let them know that their sin is is harmful and bad without banging on things and yelling. It is possible to let them know without being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do something so horrible. Uh, That's, again, it's just about being gracious. How can we, uh, okay, think about it this way. Our battle is against sin. Our kids' battle ultimately is against their sin. So when they sin, if we take it personally every time, we're really kind of just like neglecting the fact that the sin is against God and we should be longing for that sin to be forgiven and for them to be killing it. Just as much as we're longing for that in our own life, rather than being hurt and disgusted by it against us. Um, I don't know if I said that well, but just something to think about. And if you're thinking about graciousness, that's a really good way, a lot of these principles actually, are a really good way to help with the Ephesians 6, 4 piece, with not provoking them, right? If I don't want to provoke my children, being gracious, being thoughtful, being encouraging, being consistent, all of that is going to help not provoke them in the long run. All right. Anybody have anything to add to that, questions about those calls? I know this is a lot this morning. All right. So kind of parting thoughts. Um, part number four, the back sheet of your outline. Some goals for parenting. Um, we want our children to know Christ, to be conformed to, our, to his image. That's our chief desire. We want them to look like Jesus. But we also want them to learn to live under godly authority. And so requiring obedience in this way helps them learn that. It has practical benefits in their life, but it also has like a God-honoring um, benefits as well where we say we're teaching them to live under his authority. Now, there are two dangers to this. You could walk away extremely legalistic. After what we've talked about today, you could say, all right, you get with your spouse, and you say, we're, we're, we're going to bring down the gauntlet. And these kids, it's no holds barred. Like, we're going to take them out. This is, this is going down. They're going to learn how to obey this week. It's happening. And you could allow nothing, to, nothing else. It could just be like hardcore, do the rules right now. And you could become extremely legalistic and really hurt your kids. We forget that kids get tired, that they accidentally spill milk, that they, right, all these things that are exceptions to our hardcore rules. And God graciously gives us warnings. God graciously withholds punishment from us. He's compassionate and kind to us continually. So that's one end, you may go to that. Or you may say, okay, I heard what Ryan said this morning, but he also said, it's all about the heart. So we'll just forget about the rules thing and we'll just be like, hey baby, what's going on right now? Why are you feeling this way? And you could just have lots and lots of conversations about what the kid's feeling, never enforce any rules. And when they get older, they won't know how, what rules look like, how to follow them at all. Um, Both those things have to happen. Rules need to happen, conversations need to happen. But if you trend one way or the other, then we're ultimately giving our children a disservice and we're, and we're not teaching them what living under godly authority looks like. So, don't forget. Stop, step back. God's grace is sufficient to help you do this. You may be thinking, I'm failing at every single piece of it. I've done none of this right. I'm totally lost. I've totally failed. I'm never, I'm never going to measure up. God's grace is just as sufficient to help us be parents as it is to save us. And so trust him, work on it, grow in it, talk with your spouse about it. And uh, we know that he is faithful to help us, each and every one of us, be better parents and to guide them better towards him. Thank you all.